0: And welcome to another episode of On the Corner, the official podcast of PitcherList.com. I'm your host, Eric Smolski, joined by the man himself, Nick Polk.
1: What is happening? Yes, we are doing yet another podcast here as we go through 71 through 80. I'm excited to do it, Eric.
0: I'm excited, too. Uh, we talked about uh, there's going to be some interesting pitchers to talk about here. We're going to be a little more coldly efficient um, as we efficient get through these, these, later, boy. Yes, these later ones. But rest assured... Uh, Nick and I are going to dive into a lot of these pitchers in more detail as we get closer to draft. So you'll hear us talk about them plenty. Uh, but we're going to dive right in here with a guy who I have been fading hard for years and years, um, maybe incorrectly. So talk to me about Aaron Savali, your pitcher number 71.
1: So I wrote about him recently um, on the Rays now. It's actually kind of interesting. This is the first time I think there's more upside to be had. Um, Two straight years of K rates above 23%. I mean, 23% this year, 24% 2022. Actually, 2020 was 22% as well. Um, And what Aaron Savelli does that's very interesting is really good IVB on his uh, his four-seamer that is like insanely good rise on it. But he doesn't get extension. He doesn't get a good VAA. He doesn't have the highest velocity on it, right? So they're, they're the, the tractors for it, but I think he can't actually elevate that four-seamer well, kind of like his teammate Eflin, um, who found out that, hey, if I elevate my four-seamer, that's not very good, but if I just save it for two-strike counts, I can have one of the best put-away rates on four-seamers in the majors? Like, he got strikeouts, Eflin did, on that four-seamer, even though it's kind of mediocre, just elevating it in two-strikes mm-hmm. as a surprise. And so I could do that, too. Um, but the, the Rays kind of messed around a little bit with more sinkers at first, and then they went back to the tried-and-true <clears throat> um, cutter plus curveball. Uh, Mentality, and they also emphasize a slider more so um, in September, which is all kinds of cool. And the way I see it is like Savali's is in a good situation. Uh, He Mm -hmm. should probably be a you know sub four ERA kind of guy again. Um, His hit per nine was eight last year, and that's kind of like yeah, all right, that's kind of stable. Uh, Six percent walk rate, Um, so the WHIP shouldn't really be above one twenty. There is room for improvement if that. Uh, if he keeps that cutter uh, effectiveness inside to lefties and just kind of stealing down the top of the zone, almost like the Blake's blueprint with this giant drop of curveball. I mean, the difference between the uh, the vertical break of his four seamer and his curveball might be like the largest in the majors. It's pretty wild. Um, so all of that combined makes a very intriguing starter to me, especially if he's jamming those sinkers inside a right handers and really has a nullifier there, too. So I kind of like this team situation. Like, hey, it's the Rays. They're going to win games two and they're going to let you go six because, gosh, they need guys to go six. I think. Yeah. Um. And it's not one of those like, oh, they'll just make him go five and whatever, and they'll hold. No, no. I actually think the Rays will lean on Savali a little bit, um, in this year to save their bullpen a bit, um, and good defense as well behind him. The only big issue with Savali is just it's 120 innings, is what we've seen. Right. Uh, 2021 was that. Uh, 2022 is just 97 of them. He has never gone 25 starts in a year. 23 was the most um, we saw here in 2023. So um, that's a big issue. But honestly, at this point, like you get Savali early, maybe he has those things fixed that I was talking about. As he lowered his home run rate dramatically to 0.88, um, as opposed to 1.3 home run per nine or 1.66 in 21, um, which is ridiculous. And if all those things come together, like this could be a legit breakout year for Aaron Savali. So. I'm yeah. way more encouraged now than I was making this. Um, I don't know where I'm going to put him, but I think I'd at the very least put him near the top of this uh, tier, like above Tyler Wells, that kind of area.
0: Yeah. I, I was so in on Eflin because like he had flashed intriguing upside, then went to the Rays, and I trust the Rays, and you can make right. the same argument for Savali. I, I think what's, he was not Good at the end of the year is is where I'm like, okay, the raise increased, you know, the strikeouts in his profile. I like everything you said about the sinker, the increased use of the slider. Um, You know, I don't love a 765 ERA in September. I don't love, you know, a 13.6% barrel rate allowed in September. Um, you know, his worst month by um, defense independent ERA. So there's all this stuff where like he got more swinging strikes and more strikeouts, but the rest of the profile kind of went pfft. and obviously the Rays were tinkering. They will continue to tinker in the offseason. So if I trust the organization, I should trust that they're going to try to find the, the happy medium where we maybe get some of the strikeout upside, but we kind of reduce some of the barrels. But I don't know.
1: Well, and you wanna know what's kind of funny? Is um across his last five games, that's pretty much what you're saying from like the the fourth. I mean, there's a twelve strikeout game that he had. But uh in September, um, only one of those games did he have a collective ICR above thirty-three percent. Like four out of the five were thirty-three percent or lower. So I do wonder if that's like I mean, yeah, he didn't make the best pitches either. You look at the plots. I it, right. it was like, OK, these curveballs weren't getting down enough. And I'm not saying it was perfect, but I also do believe that like, OK, he got also unlucky to have the, uh, you know, those six earned run blow ups and uh, seven runs in 10 innings before that and that kind of thing. So I wouldn't really re- lean too far into that. And as you mentioned, yeah, give the Rays some time to really lean into this. Mm-hmm. I do think that there are things to build on, which I didn't expect to have. I thought this was just kind of like this is who he is. I'm like, no, I can see how this gets tweaked to be better.
0: And at this point in the draft, I, I, I get what you're saying about buying into that upside. Um, we skipped over the naming of the tiers. We're going to do that real quick. So, just so people <laughs> know, this is a tier that began with, you mentioned Tyler Wells. Began with Tyler Wells. It was Tyler Wells, Shoto Imanaga, Michael Waka, Jose Barrios, Jordan Montgomery, Garrett Whitlock, Ryan Pepio, Emmett Sheehan, and now Aaron Savali. Um, we're in the holiday season, so we're getting a lot of like big family meals, which leads to leftovers. So we're going to talk about your favorite foods as leftovers. Yeah. Like, what do you really enjoy? Just like maybe cold out of the fridge. Who who really knows? Mm. Uh, we're going to get two. So there are two tiers here. So what what leftover is this tier?
1: I mean, this is the the, the staple of like mac and cheese is just easy. Mm. That is just like you know a lot of times from Thanksgiving you'll have that one. It's a cool. I don't. I know this is going to be fine and easy. Um, it's just kind of there. I uh, so I mean that that's the Toby. It's not really that exciting. Tier a, I've got a much better one. But uh, that's a, yeah, that's a stable if left over here. Okay,
0: I like that. Um, are you a cold? You're just gonna do it cold? Are you gonna put it in no, the absolutely
1: not. I'm gonna put okay. some things over it. Uh, maybe actually add some extra cheese so that I can melt Ooh. that. That's new, so it makes it feel a little bit better. There's yeah. some garlic on there. Maybe a
0: different kind of cheese. That's new cheese.
1: So yeah, that's, exactly. That's, I took a two yeah, or three it's cheese some ricotta cheese. involved. You know, love it. Ooh, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> the next pitcher is another guy who I've been avoiding in the past because, as much as fantasy baseball Twitter has wanted to make him a thing. He has really struggled with control and giving up lots of hard contact. And then, of course, he had a tremendous year this year. Um, so where are you at with starting pitcher at number 72, Yusei Kikuchi?
1: Yeah, I guess I'm in. I, I, I mean, look, since uh, the end of May, like 530, uh, 28% strikeout rate. <laughs> it's kind of nuts. So it's over 22 games. Um, And what Kikuchi did was all of a sudden turn to breaking balls in the zone uh, sliders and curveballs first, and then just the four seamer dancing around and it worked. I think he got a little bit gassed by the end. Um, His worst starts really started to come in September. And that makes sense. Um, And, you know, 167 innings is not an easy uh, task for someone who really hasn't done that before. I mean, it was 161 in 2019, 157 in 2021. um, But, Yeah, I I would like to take a chance on this one and say, okay, the end of my draft, let's kind of see what the the matchup would be at the beginning of the year. And what do you know? I actually have that inside of my lovely article, and it is the Raisin the Astros. (laughs) Um, So maybe not, uh, but no, I mean, it's not always the best just to play it for that first start. Um, And I could see Kikuchi kind of keeping the same skills of those breaking balls in the zone. That was really the thing for ages that we didn't like about Kakuchi's. I didn't trust his command. I didn't trust that he would have a slider on a given day. It was like slider, cutter, fastball for the most part. And he got rid of that cutter. It's just really slider and curveball now with the fastball darting around. He has always had high strikeout rates anyway, 24% plus since the start of 2020. Um, and to see this really lock in too, to be 28% after some uh, turmoil at the beginning of the year. Generally, when we see that command switch, especially with approach difference, it does stick around. Um, and I'm more inclined to believe that Kikuchi will have those swing strike rate numbers again above 14%. So that's really exciting to see at this point in the draft. And uh, yeah, I want to take a chance on that.
0: Yeah, I'm willing to buy into some of some of it. Um, I think, as you mentioned, there's a pretty clear change with getting rid of the cutter and, and using the curveball. Um, and the curveball was a solid pitch for him. It wasn't like, Exceptional, but it's 68%
1: strike rate this year is a big thing.
0: Yes. It it that's that's as you mentioned, when you look at like, okay, 14.5% swing and strike rate, fine. 4.49 defense independent ERA, fine. But he could throw it over the plate. Um and that's important because you know, you would watch him in the past and was just like, dude, throw a strike. Nothing is nothing is working. Um and so I do I do like the the harder slider. Um there was a, a harder slider with a little bit more downward bite this year than in the past, um, and it uh, I think he had better control over it, and then he had the curveball to it as well. Um, so listen, do I, I might be more comfortable projecting him for like a low fours ERA to go along with this rather than the 3.8 that he put up this year, but I think that the increased um, strikeouts, even though he decreased his swing strike rate overall – the increased strikeouts are because of better command. Um, and sorry, not the increased strikeouts because he yeah, asked his K per nine was down, but I just mean the more effective profile, strikeout profile, um, uh, sure. more consistent, you know, uh, K, you know, K minus walk rate was, was way up in a way that I enjoy. Yeah. I, would, um, I like that stat. I as would also, one. uh,
1: yeah, I mean, yeah, it was 20% of that time I was mentioning, right? Um, and in that time too, and really I don't really think of I do this a lot with pitchers when I say, Well, okay, you were doing one thing and it didn't really work. And you changed something else and that worked. And for to do it as consistently as Kikuchi did makes me believe that it's gonna be that. So I kind of like just throwing away the previous one. And this was a three, five, six ERA with a 122 whip. Um so I, I I kinda look at that and I say, Well, Kikuchi should kind of be closer to that. If he has a four plus ERA, that means that I'm gonna be seeing him. Likely not being able to throw those breaking balls in the zone as confident as he was last year. And if that's happening, then I'm out. I'm like quickly jumping out of this one because we have seen three of his previous four seasons have a five plus ERA. Uh, and the other one was a 4.4. 4. So I'm out if I see that and I'm not going to allow myself to get pulled down and then he'll be on the wire and no one else will jump in because, yeah, it's terrible ratios and whatever. And then the second that he starts getting to any sort of rhythm of those breaking balls again, I might be convinced to come back in. But that's how I would handle drafting Kikuchi this year.
0: Yeah, Um, It's kind of an opposite profile of the next guy uh, because you're not looking at like volatile strikeout upside. You're looking at just like pretty stock standard solid ratio pitcher who finally got a chance to start. And it's Seth Lugo. And... I'm not sure people understand that, like, not only did he have a 357 ERA and a 120 whip um, with 140 strikeouts and 146 in the third inning. So it wasn't no strikeout value. He also had a 335 ERA over his final 18 starts. So, like, pretty consistently good. Um, Free agent, don't necessarily know where he's going to end up. Um, But I think. We need to take Seth Lugo seriously as maybe like a boring ratio starter at the end of our drafts.
1: Yeah, um, I think the uh, the sweeper and the hook uh, are are good. Um, they they constantly keep Lugo very much involved, more so the curveball than the, than the slider. The sinkers is his bread and butter. Um, if he's commanding that effectively and he has a good defense behind him, which he did with the Padres, that helped massively for Lugo. Uh, that's great. I wish I had more to say about the four-seamer and changeup—not that great of offerings. So I think this really does, um, this does rely around where he goes more mm-hmm. so than I think a lot of other pitchers. And if he goes to a team that just doesn't have the best infield defense that I could trust, then yeah, I don't really want to go after um, Seth Lugo. If uh, if he does though. Then, okay, Luca, what's up, buddy? I, I trust your curveball to get a lot of strikes. I trust that sinker to keep you able to go through six constantly. And hopefully he can improve upon that sweeper a little bit more to uh, propel that strikeout rate. But he's it, it, just someone to consider, at least. And I think that he uh, was overlooked a bit. I mean, he was right on that Toby level a lot. Like a 120 whip, but five seventy ERA and 23% K rate. Um, it's there. It's just yeah. I know he had a thirty three percent CSW on the four seamer. It's I just feel like it was I don't know fifty percent ICR maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> like not good eleventh percentile in all four seamers. So when he allowed contact, it wasn't good at all. But wow, the sinker was thirty two percent. Like like that was the pitch in my view. And I feel moving more toward that sinker, I uh, can help him a bit to mitigate that. Uh, we'll see. Uh, there's some more development to be had possibly, and really just. I I trust more the defense than I do actually this another shift for Lugo to really uh, keep up.
0: Sure. And we talked about this last episode with guys like, you know, Jordan Montgomery or like Michael Waka, where to me, this is more enticing as a 15 team draft pick where like I'm at a point in the draft where I'm taking upside in a 12 team. But like, I think Lugo is probably pretty safe. I don't see him getting lit up regardless of where he signs. I maybe don't see a three, three ERA pitcher, but I think there's some stability and safety there.
1: Yeah, and again, um, 8.6 hit per nine um, with a 48% ground ball rate with a good defense behind him. Mm-hmm. Like, it could get bad, um, especially, again, with that four seamer being as hitable as it is. So I would be cautious. I don't know what teams that is right now. I mean, your Red Sox ranked worst in uh, outs above average uh, in infield defense last year. So if he goes sure. there... Different uh, in- know, they different would have change a change much yeah. different
0: infield defense. But I okay, will well say good that
1: like good for you, then.
0: <laughs> he's never he's never been really never been bad. Um and I get that yeah. a lot of that was out of the bullpen. But what mm-hmm. we just mean is like there's a long track record of track record of him being a solid major league pitcher, yeah. Um to the point where I feel like there's I feel there's a, a safe floor to a certain extent, like if I'm in a deeper, sure. if I'm again in a 15 team format. Yeah. Um, Your next pitcher is a guy who I expected to be much higher on. I thought your ranking was super low um, because his surface level stats were pretty good this year. Um, And then I started to dig in on Eduardo Rodriguez and his 330 ERA and 115 whip. Um, And I found myself ranking him 72nd and you have him 74th. (laughs) And um, it feels right to me. And that's wild because it it should be it seems like it should be higher, um, but why are you why are you out or well you know why are you not buying what we saw this year?
1: Yeah, this is a I think this is a pretty easy case, um, and I'm pretty sure you found the same exact thing that I did. Uh, so Eduardo Rodriguez, if you guys remember last year, um, the beginning of the year, everyone was just calling him like the Cy Young winner. Uh, it was it's actually kind of hilarious remember i was uh, in the last episode i was talking about eduardo rodriguez being this example of like you go four months of this, like a four three era or so and a one three mm-hmm. one whip and then you get the brilliance at the end it was the absolute reverse eight games for eduardo rodriguez was a one five seven era and a 0.79 whip at the beginning of the year that was through may 10th and then guess what the last 18 were a four one nine ERA with a one three four WHIP and a twenty two percent K rate, right? That's what you endured for much more of the season than uh, than the beginning of it. And yeah, I'm not in. I don't really think that there's so much that is exceptional about Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, and this has been the problem for a long time. What is Eduardo Rodriguez's best pitch?
0: So I always, as a Red Sox, I always remembered it being the changeup,
1: right? It was back in the day, maybe being like a twenty percent swing strike rate. I don't. Maybe it is now. It's like a sixty-one percent strike rate with only seventeen percent swing strike rate. Um, ICR is fine at thirty-seven. That's a <laughs> but kind that of still is
0: probably, probably his best offering, isn't it? Yeah. Like, like I think the sli- the slider flashed at times last year from the numbers at least, but like he doesn't really throw it.
1: No, it's and sometimes it's the cutter. The cutter kind of tries to be this nullifier, but it's fine. And really when I think Eduardo Rodriguez soars is when his four seamers dominating. Four seamer or sinker. Sometimes he would use a sinker as this um, surprise uh, inside pitch to to right handers, which is kind of cool. It's actually he saves it for two strike counts. Uh, 79% of his sinkers were thrown in two strike counts this past year. Um, And only a 20% uh, put away rate, which isn't very good. Uh, But yeah, it's that four seamer that had a 15.5% swing strike rate with the Tigers in 2021. Um, and went down to 10% this past year. So, yeah. No, I'm sorry, not, not 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 the Tigers. I'm sorry with the Red Sox in 21. Mm-hmm. But oh, that's when he had the 27% swing striker, sorry, uh, uh, strikeout rate overall for E-Rod. It was 23% last year, and it just got worse as the season went on. And I'm just like, yeah. nah, man. He gets into a groove, and that's nice. And I don't really want to trust it for the entire season. So.
0: Yeah, I don't. I think it, I think it. it's easy to see, like, oh, he, you know, we're writing off 2022. You know, there was a lot going on off the field, whatever. He came back. Oh, we're making good on the progress. You know, the promise. Sorry that we saw with the Red Sox, but like, the swing and strike rate is down from when he was with the Red Sox. The contact rate is up from when he was with the Red Sox. The ground ball rate is down from when he was with the Red Sox. So even if he's a sinker changeup guy, he's not getting you know a high rate of ground balls that like a good, Oh, he signs with a good defense and that can be a a boost for him. Here is
1: the, the the barrel
0: rate is up from, you know, when he was with the Red Sox. So all of this is like, I know the surface level stats are like, Oh, he had his best season in, you know, four years. But to me, nothing under the hood matches when he was, you know, pitching to a three, eight ERA with the Red Sox. And you were like, Oh, they might have something here.
1: Right. The, the definitive argument against Eduardo Rodriguez is pretty simple. You're going to see, as you just mentioned, oh, yeah, 2023 was his best season with a 3-3 ERA and a 115 whip. False. He had his best eight-game stretch of his career. And the rest of the season was mediocrity, as we normally see. It was just the best start. I can even say the first two starts were Erod last year, 10 innings of seven earned runs. It was a six-game stretch where he allowed two earned runs. That is it. That is literally the thing that you're chasing at. And I could even throw away if I want that Toronto one because he had eight base runners and three Ks in six innings. You know, a five-game stretch of one earned run and where he got all the strikeouts and lowered all that whip. Like, that's what it was. Not a full season of it. And to me, it was, like, more of the same of just not really a thing that you want for your fantasy teams that drags you down. Because, again, after the stretch... 18 games of a 134 whip and a 419 ERA, right? 22% K rate. This is not the kind of guy that you want to go for to lock in through the year. And you won't even know if he's going to go on that glorious stretch again when it's happening. It's something that you might want to take a chance on in season off the waiver wire. But I guarantee you someone's just going to hold on to it and close their eyes and good luck. But he's not the kind of guy I want to go for.
0: Fully agreed. Um, The next pitcher on our list is a former ace who finds himself all the way down here at 75. We'll talk about him after the break.
1: This bustling holiday season, you might be looking for nutritious, flavorful meals to fuel you on jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service can help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef prepared dietitian dietician-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-do's. Cross meal prepping off your list this holiday season with Factor. Skip the meal planning, grocery shopping, chopping, prepping, and cleaning up and get Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals delivered to your door. They're ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Head to factormeals.com OTC50 and use code OTC50 to get 50% off. That's code OTC50 at factormeals.com OTC50 to get 50% off.
0: So, Shane Bieber is not a name we would normally see in the 70s. Um, why are we ranking Shane Bieber so low heading into 2024? I mean, I, I know, but you tell me.
1: <laughs> it was a 3A ERA with a 123 whip and a 20% K rate who has injury questions. And, I, uh, yeah, he's not what he used to be. Shane Bieber was good in the past. Because of his slider and his curveball. This slider used to be a 25% swing strike rate pitch. Absurdly good, crazy, amazing. Curveball was 22% and above, and oh my gosh. And then in 2023, curveball became a 16% swing strike rate. Slider became an 18%. His cutter, which actually was the underrated element of 2020 and 2021, became a 15% swing strike rate pitch. And oh boy, this four-seamer. Oh, no. Um, it's always been like a bad ICR pitch. It still is. It's the it's always been the problem. He's had to rely on it more because the other things are just not coming through. It was first percentile in swinging strike rate as his velocity came down. Uh, hard contact rate is 47%. Um, so when he ended plate appearances with his four seamer, it was hard contact nearly half the time. This is bad. Um, and I understand that you can look at this and say, okay, you know what? Maybe... He finds his way back, and then maybe that's worth the ceiling. Totally get that. That there is an argument to be had there. One twenty-three whip and three eight ERA isn't the worst thing ever. And you say that was a down year, and we're going to bring ourselves back up. I kind of see it just a trend that's going to continue getting worse before it gets better for Shane Bieber. Yeah, it's back a big to ask what? <laughs> to get those bring, breaking balls bring back. Bring himself to back to what? Yeah, so. I'm- I'm
0: with you. And you haven't even talked about that. He missed like the last two months of the season with elbow inflammation. Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot
1: about that. That's what it was. But he did the same thing pretty much the previous year. Didn't he? with uh, The the shoulder. I'm sorry. um, Enter. Sorry. End of 2021. Yeah. And and then 2022. And I remember entering last year. Like, I was really weirded out um, by Bieber. But I was like, you know what? The dude got 200 Ks. And like, he still has enough whiffs on his uh, sliders at 22% in 2022. And a 22% on its curve ball is like, all right, fine. I get it. I'll go. Sure. And then, yeah, no, it just disappeared. I,
0: I think you and I talked about this on a, on a podcast, like during the season. Um, It was like, okay, he missed the end of 2021. Um, Oh, he's coming back and he's throwing this cutter and the ERA is 2.88. And, you know, he's, you know, inducing, you know, lots of soft contact and he's, you know, back to being a ratio, you know, stud. And it was like, yeah, but he's, Missing no bats.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, He's not getting any strikeout upside. And so heading into last year, I was just like, I don't, and the velocity was down almost a mile and a half, right? And was not coming back up. So I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe we buy him as a ratio suppressor, but he is diminished in fantasy value because he's no longer. Giving you strikeouts. Yeah, I will say contingent, it twenty
1: five percent strikeout rate in twenty twenty two, with still a fifteen percent swing strike rate. Sure, but that dropped down to eleven like, percent. Right,
0: and we didn't and what expect the
1: slider and curveball to take such a big step back. Right,
0: and twenty twenty two, even though as you mentioned, like that's still a twenty five percent strikeout rate. That's not Shane, you know, quote unquote sure, Shane yeah, Bieber. Right. That's not the Shane Bieber you were drafting. So you were already having to recalibrate. Okay, maybe Shane Bieber is an SP three or four right Mm -hmm. not your ace now i just don't i don't i don't i don't honestly know what the upside really is Um, (laughs) i guess if you're if you're in like a real deep format or you know draft and holds or whatever like yeah he's only 28 years old it's not like i mean first of all we've seen you know injuries and stuff like that end careers earlier than you know or diminish careers earlier I just don't, there's nothing in here that I, that I love.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I can totally get, pick him up at the end and see if he finds a way to get the slider and curveball back. And then there you go. There you have your sure. 25% K rate with a, with a whip that is better than 120, which is great. Okay. And then you see an E ray above th- that's better than three. I can totally grasp this. Um, it's not out of the question. I don't think it's going to happen. Yes. And I'm not going to draft in that way. I can also kind of see myself saying, you know what, Nick, you're talking about like Seth Lugo or something. Or you're talking, you know, and why not just see where Shane Bieber is? At least I'll have an understanding of that slider and curveball if they're being utilized that way or not. Yes. I don't think they will, but they could.
0: But that's how you have to draft him, right? Like, you need to take the name value off and not say, you know, like we talked in earlier episodes about like, are being diminished and sale and guys like that. But there was still enough flashes where you're like, okay, I could take them, you know, this higher draft price because there's something there that's like, okay, maybe we can get back to 80% yeah, right, of right. what they were before. I don't know that you're getting even back to 50% of what twenty. Yeah, go down. Shane Bieber for- <laughs> was. You know what I mean? Like you just have to recalibrate and say, is, is Shane Bieber going to Michael Walker for me? And, and that mm. might, that kind of might be where you're at. And, and yeah, like there's upside if you're picking weight in the draft between a Lugo and, you know, a Bieber and, you know, I'm looking at some of the other guys we're we're, we're going to get to later, but I think that's the range. Don't, don't anticipate you're going to see some jump and he's back to like an SP two or three for your fantasy team. I just don't think yeah, there's no. anything indicating that that's going to happen.
1: Definitely. And I'd
0: probably rather take the next guy that mm. you have.
1: Yeah, um, I agree.
0: Because not only do we now know where he's gonna pitch, but Kentamaedo had pretty solid stats and peripherals. And I know the velocity was down and people were like, Oh, he's a soft tosser again. But like I think he was underrated for what he did in twenty twenty three.
1: Yeah, there was the beginning of the year for Kenta Maeda that was not good. Uh, I remember banging the drum a ton on on Kenta Maeda and saying like, guys, and he, like, "Yeah, he's just getting completely overlooked." I want this. I remember actually, <laughs> I I said this to Gray Albright. I said, "I want Kenta Maeda over Zach Eflin to him at Labor," and uh, and I remember like other people were like, no, "No, no, no, do Eflin." I'm like, "I think it's going to be Maeda," and I think he took Maeda. And I remember apologizing to him at like in like the summer, um, but. However, I should mention, when it comes to the entire season of Kenta Maeda, he made, uh, it looks like, 20 starts in this season. There are really, like, two bad ones. Like, that's it. Like, one of them is the worst thing ever. Um, then he went in the IL after that. It was 10 earned runs against <laughs> right. the Yankees on uh, April 26th. But then, like, he's got a six earned run game against the Guardians. And, you know, what is it, two uh one you know, one four runner game and that's it. Like he was really good after that 10 uh earned running game when he came back on the IL on the on June twenty third. And Maeda, that's that's kind of who he is. He got into such a good groove with a splitter and a slider. Um those final 17 games and that includes his three point one innings of relief that he did on the twenty eighth, as would, they were seeing for the twins um if he could be a long reliever for the for the playoffs for them. Um it was a 336 ERA and a 109 whip. With a 29% strikeout rate and a 14% swing strike rate, like wait a second, that's that's great. I love mm-hmm. this. Um, now he's going to the Tigers. Yeah, he's he's going to be like the veteran guy on the Tigers right now. In a There's good a chance, park, the Tigers go and sign someone. Else. Um, yeah, absolutely. The infield defense is uh, something. Uh, it's Baez who's okay, I think, and then I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, Baez defense,
0: it can't hit, but he can still field.
1: Yeah, and um, I think Kenta Maeda is overlooked a ton. There is obviously a reliance of the splitter working. Mm -hmm. Uh, If the splitter works, then things go well. He generally will always have a slider. Sometimes he does lose his fastball a bit, but it's more um, reliant on the splitter. Maeda, over the years, has been more consistent with the splitter than uh, most. And the only time he wasn't was when he was suffering with a torn UCL. (laughs) Now, I remember actually putting out that weekend gif of me looking for Kenta Maeda's splitter. And then he had uh, Tommy John. I was like, oh, I guess that's why. Because your elbow hurt. So I'm a fan of this. Take the the chance on Maeda. Now that he's also with the Tigers, why not, Renick? This is the point of the draft where you should be looking at schedule. Mm -hmm. Because if you can steal at the end of your draft a guy who gets a weak team opening weekend, And then you literally are getting a start before the exciting guys that you're waiting one start would go as the four and five. It's a huge deal. You get free value the opening weekend of the season because it's usually like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? Three game series. And guess what? The Tigers have the White Sox. So I want to start on Maeda that first weekend. I want to target him in all my drafts. And then there's some other exciting thing I was also debating who's on the waiver wire now. I could theoretically drop my ADA for that exciting thing and get value out of the gate instead of just waiting on my hands on a stash play for someone who would be on the wire. So mm-hmm. those are the kind of things that you should be looking out for at this point in your draft.
0: Yeah, and I also like you know people are going to look at the team context of the Tigers, who. Won only nine fewer games than the Twins last year um, and huh. also have some intriguing young hitters. Where like, yeah, it could be better. Would it surprised me if the Tigers win 85 games next year, 86 games, which is what the Twins basically what the Twins did this year. Like, no, they won 78 this year. Maybe they win 80, 84, 85. Like, yeah. and, and now you're not like you weren't drafting Kenta Maeda last year being like, oh, his team context sucks. Um, So it's not a great team context. I don't think it's terrible. And his velocity in the second half of the year was actually like 91.3 miles an hour on the fastball, which is totally in line with what he's been in the majors. Like, you know, he was 92 at his peak. We're not talking about somebody who is drastically throwing softer than he was before. And I love that he's leaning on the on the splitter and the slider. So, yeah, I think, you know, again, another guy who I'm in on relative to cost like people were drafting Kent Amaya as an SP2 a few years ago like mm. he's not that guy right but i think he could be a solid member of your rotation
1: and and one element if you remember the previous contract that he had that carried over from the Dodgers was the inning stipulations every 10 that he would get he would get paid right. more so a yes. lot of teams were encouraged to not you know the d- twins were the dodgers were of holding him back not anymore let them loose. The Tigers are going to get every single inning they can as they figure out Casey Mize, they figure out Tarek Scooble, uh, they figure out the youngins of Matt Manning and Reese Olsen and Sawyer Gibson Long. And it makes all the sense that Maeda is going to go six innings consistently for this team. I'm a big fan of it.
0: Yeah. Um, it's kind of the opposite profile of what you have with your pitcher number 77 because it's not the boring veteran and we kind of know what we're going to get. It's the total and complete unknown. <laughs> The roller coaster ride of Andrew Abbott, who seemed to defy all peripheral metrics in his early starts. Um, so, what are you making of Andrew Abbott in a most likely full season in the Reds starting rotation?
1: Yeah, it's so funny. Um, we forget like the turmoil of the regular season a ton. I uh, I don't know what you were doing when Andrew Abbott came up and w- what drum you were beaten. But for me, I was like, Andrew Abbott isn't this good. And with every good start he would have, I'd get more and more DMs and tweets and anger on Reddit and all this stuff. about like, I don't understand how you can hate Andrew Abbott. He's obviously so good. Here's 12 strikeouts. And then he was just terrible at the end of the year. Um, And Mm -hmm. uh, Andrew Abbott was someone when he first came up, I think he had really good command of his four seamer. Um, I didn't really like any of his secondaries as like truly elite pitches. It's a bad place to pitch Cincinnati. You do not want to be there. And uh, not just for like the home park, like you don't know what the defense is going to be. I mean, it's going to be better this year. Actually, we're talking about this in the context of Nick Martinez of the infield defense being 29th uh, with only your Red Sox being worse last year. Um, and now it's above average, but that's going to change a bit uh, with Marte and Ellie and, um,
0: McLean, uh, the, best Strand, the best of the
1: best Strand and McLean, yes uh, so you have a better infield defense now, that's good, but Abbott's actually a fly ball guy, and you're going to have Steer out there, you're going to have uh, right. Fidel, and um, and I can't remember the last one, and it's fine because those are hitters, and who cares about those, so uh, Andrew Abbott to me is someone that's just too Cherry Bomb-esque mm-hmm. and without that like definitive like, oh no, this is how he's going to do it, and it's going to be great kind of thing, he could absolutely. Defy this. Uh, and it's why this tier in particular, which we I don't know if we uh went over this one. I, I didn't get my tier name for a tier eight, which is fun oh, for like true. a week or all year.
0: That that uh, was and Kenta maeda started that tier. I apologize, yeah. people, as as our I quick and dirty, term, so. our quick and dirty uh you <laughs> know, me mean- So dirty. <laughs> so dirty. Um, so quick, overly quick. But it started with Kenta Maeda and now it's Andrew Abbott. So um After you finish your analysis on Abbott, tell us the leftover food. Sure, Uh,
1: So so with Andrew Abbott, you can take a chance on this. And I think a lot of people will. Um, And I'm not in disagreement with those people because it's just like, I don't know. And I hate not knowing. I don't know if after a start or two, if I'm going to be able to make a decision on Andrew Abbott. What I don't like is that it was a sub 10% swing strike rate over the course of the year uh, for Abbott. That's not good. That's uh, on his four seamer. I I need a more dominant four seamer for me to feel more comfortable about it. Um I I don't like that he doesn't get a lot of depth on the slider. It's more of a sweeper action. The the curveball isn't a big drop pitch either. I don't have a ton of faith in these offerings becoming these big, oh my gosh, I can't believe the sliders being thrown. It's a 10% swing strike rate right on the curveball and Ah, only a 54% strike rate on the changeup last year for Abbott's changeup. So, yeah, I just don't see it. I think as, as a lefty, he doesn't have elite command to really make it work either. It's just not for mm-hmm. me.
0: And people will point to, like, his... He had really impressive minor league strikeout totals this year um, and in, impressive minor league uh, CSWs as well. But it was three starts in A, and it was seven starts in AAA it's huh. it's pretty small sample size yeah. stuff um and he came in as one of their top prospects so it's not like he came out of nowhere he he still missed bats in 2022 even though he had a 475 era in double a mm-hmm. so but this isn't a guy who was just dominating the minors for years and then got a shot and dominated the majors this yeah. is a guy who was who flashed in the minors but had struggled and struggled with consistency, looked really good through 10 starts in the minor leagues this, you know, this past season and then came up and did really well at the beginning. And everybody was like, Oh, he's a a stud. And I think he's more inconsistent than that would, would indicate. Um, And you add the home park to it. And I think I'm also, "Eh." Uh, uh, so, I
1: mean, there is one element that uh, I do like, he does get a lot of uh, rise on that four seamer and he just didn't throw it up enough. Uh, Andrew Abbott's four seamer, his high lock was 50%. Um, that's 42nd percentile on four seamers from a lefty. So not fun. Um, and if he does actually get that upstairs, there is an indication good VA as well. Good extension. Like he has all the elements of a good four seamer from the left side that could hint at like that 14% swing striker and actually dominate this well. Our PLV does absolutely love sweepers and 5.52 PLV is 90th percent of, of all sliders. So there is promise in that regard. Um, he could be a back foot guy if he can nail that up and in to uh, right handers. Like he can demolish lefties easily without sliders just about making sure you can do the back foot to lefties. Sorry, to right handers. Um, there is a path. Uh, do we believe that the command will be there for that? Like that 12 strikeout game came with eight whiffs on that four seamer upstairs. Uh, If you look at that, actually a lot of pitchers in the middle, but everything else was right on the corner. Um, If you look at the 10 strikeout game against the Rockies, uh, it was six whiffs on uh, on the four seamer as well. Um, Six on the four seamer against Baltimore, right? That's during the early stages of his success. And then he just didn't quite you know be there and he couldn't get it up again um, with his four seamer. So I'm not I'm not going to buy into it. And it does look like to me that Andrew Abbott has too much risk uh, when it doesn't work out for me to believe that he's just going to click in there and uh, and dominate for your teams.
0: Agreed. Fully agreed on that. Um, we've got another starting pitcher next who has another name that might surprise you. Down in this tier, and we'll get to that after the break. Um, so before we get to pitch number seventy-eight, we do have to name this tier. Uh, what leftover food is this tier?
1: Yes, this was. I uh, this is really turkey and mashed potatoes. I mean, it's it's always solid. It's so good, and it's just yeah. It just it could be good just for a week, right? You can't really leave it in there for too long. No, can't. Um, but uh, if you get that right, mm, put some butter and melt that on there. Beautiful.
0: Yeah, as long as you got the gravy for the turkey, you got to have that let leftover gravy. Um, a bit. Or you know, a sandwich you can slab a bunch of mayo on something like that. I mean, if you turkey You you Do, the, do
1: the mashed potatoes on it, then you get the sure. butter on that. That should be good enough.
0: Turkey needs a sauce or a dip. I mean, okay,
1: um, barbecue always sweet baby. Sure. Bacon, it, yeah, yeah,
0: love that. Just love that. Um, you know what I don't love? No. Is the season that Christian Javier had?
1: <laughs>
0: um. So he came into the year, and and everybody I think thought we were you know getting another potential breakout, an Astros stud, 254 ERA in, you know, 2022. And he was taking the next step Um, and pretty much everything got worse in 2023. Um, 456 ERA, 127 whip, 23.1% strikeout rate, uh, swing and strike rate dropped to 11.4%. Is this ranking suggesting that you're out on Christian Javier?
1: Um. Look, this entire tier is... I do these by tiers on purpose because it's about what you're looking for at this point in your draft. It always has been, always will be. And with Javier, he's part of that crew of like, look, if I don't want Toby or something, I want to take a chance. Like, awesome. I would likely be chasing more Javier than I am a lot of the guys in the previous tier. Because what the heck? You know, um, there are a lot of reasons you can point to his uh failure this past year in season i was saying like look either he has his four seam or a slider working it's never kind of at the same time mm-hmm. and his slider really took a big step back we're talking 17 swing striker all the way down to 10 percent uh just a 56 strike rate he just could not rely on this thing uh it is still really good at limiting hard contact uh 33 icr is fantastic and the fastball is too 37% ICR. He's 86% among all four seamers. It's just consistency. He just can't throw enough strikes. Um, too many walks again, 9% walk rate, but also eight, eight hit per nine, as you would have to give in more inside the zone uh, more often than we saw before. Uh, the spin rates this is something Eno brought up toward the playoffs. And like Javier did well in the first round, I believe. Um, and his spin rates all of a sudden just jump back up. Out of nowhere. Uh, and it was down down about like 100 and change um, from both the four-seamer and the slider in season. So that's kind of weird. And I don't know if we're going to see that again. If like, all right, it's playoff time. We just got to do this. I don't know. Um, there is a world that Javier can find the slider that he had from 2022 again. Uh, I mean, really, that was just such a game changer for him its CSW rates went down four ticks, its strike rate went down five, um, actually arguably six. And it's if he doesn't have that to supplement the four seamer, which still has absolutely stellar IVB and whiff rates, 15% whiff rate and high lock and all that kind of stuff, he just needs that dang breaking ball to supplement it. And uh, I don't know if we can believe that he will. So yeah, uh, the PLV on that four seamer, by the way, this past year is still good five fourteen. Um, its IVB is eighteen inches of rise with a good VAA. It's pretty wa- pretty wild. Like you don't see that often.
0: I just think you got a guy who throws a fastball and slider eighty eight, a combined eighty eight percent of the time, <laughs> who lost his feel for the slider, and whose fastball was over a mile per hour slower in twenty twenty three than it was in in twenty twenty two, and gave up you know an eleven point one percent barrel rate on the year so he throws two pitches and both of them got markedly worse yeah um that's concerning it's also concerning that it was his first year as a full-time starting pitcher um on an astros team that may it it wouldn't surprise me if they decide you know what maybe you're better in this swing role of moving in and out i know and i know he had the vast majority of, of 2022 as a starter. I'm not saying they're going to move him out of the rotation, but I'm saying if he struggles again early in the season, mm-hmm. I don't think the Astros are saying, okay, he's locked in. He's going to start regardless. Yeah, He's shown that he can be a really good reliever. They've used him as a reliever in the past, even when he's succeeded as a starter. In 2022, when he was pitching out of the bullpen, he had also started and looked good. He's now coming off a really bad first season as a starter where his stuff all played down across the board. If we see that in April, I'm not saying we're going to, but I'm saying if we do, on a team that is trying to win a World Series, it would not surprise me if they just say, you know what, you're, you're better for us and you're better in general with this role in the bullpen. Yeah. So I, I think that has some built-in volatility to it where like, when we talked in previous episodes about like Jose Barrios, like if Jose Barrios gets off to a poor April, I don't think he's getting moved no, he's to the bullpen or taken out easy, of a rotation. Yeah. Right. If right. Javier gets off to a really bad first month, like I do think there's some risk there. Obviously it depends on what Houston does in the offseason and how many options they have at their disposal.
1: Sure. I just, well,
0: I just don't think it's out of the question.
1: Yeah. The uh, I mean, so again, I don't think Javier is going to cost you a high draft pick. Um, and, If he does, then okay, we're we're out. We got this. Um, To me, I look at... Yeah, four-seamer and slider both got worse. Uh, He is 26. He's going to be 27 next year. And if there's a way that he looks at this and goes, okay, this is why I was a tick down on my fastball. Or this is why my slider, I couldn't locate it as well. Like, he makes those tweaks and maybe it's just a spin and, like, maybe it's just sticky stuff or something. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But I... You know, 2021, he had similar spin and had an effective year. So still seeing a 14% or rather a 13% swing strike rate overall is still very impressive, mm-hmm. especially on the 4 seamer being at 15% is great still. So I, I see how this could just get much better, especially if he just throws more strikes with his dang slider. And um, you can't throw a 56% strike pitch 30% of the time. You just can't do that. No. So... That's it. I mean, it's it's kind of that simple to me. And when you have it that simple to unlock something that, like, is a top 15 starter is insane. Uh, You just don't find it this late in the draft. Um, The only thing is, like, okay, you have to, again, do an honest assessment of them early in the season. Because, yeah, you really don't want to be leaning on Christian Javier 2023 for a full year again.
0: Right. You can't. You can't. Um. You also can't lean on... The second half of Mitch Keller's 2023. So we talked about uh, Christian Javier totally falling apart uh, between 2022 and 2023. Mitch Keller looked like people were calling him a Cy Young candidate in the beginning of this season. Um, And the wheels just fell off in the second half of the year. You have him ranked 79th. So I assume that means you think what we saw in the second half of the year is maybe closer to the reality.
1: Well, we just don't know. I mean, Keller is weird. Keller's weird. I don't like weird. Um, and I really want to like him a lot more. Believe it or not, his four seamer had a fifteen percent swing strike rate. I uh, he does save it for two strike counts a lot, but that's really cool. Uh, he doesn't jam enough batters with a sinker, but the cutter is so dang good. Um, it's the only one of his arsenal that has a sub forty percent ICR. Uh, I had a sixty seven percent strike rate, and. It's so good when he's on, just kneeling the down in and away um, spot. Like, it just messes guys up. The f- slider has such good grades, and it should be better. And he just can't quite get the right approach. There are certain days when the command is just all there, and he's like, no, no, it doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to destroy you. But then when he doesn't have the best command, it's like, well, okay, you got to adapt and do X, Y, and Z.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I like the idea that Keller has gotten better every year. He's improved his 4 over the years. He's improved his sweeper. He's had this new cutter. Like, new things keep happening with Keller. He's a tread athletics guy, and they've, well, they fixed Cole Reagans. So, I really hope the Pirates trade away Mitch Keller. They better. This is like the perfect Joe Musgrove situation. Garrett Cole situation, right? Send him to the Rays. Send him to the Dodgers. The Dodgers honestly should be clamoring to get Mitch Keller from the Pirates. And they would fix him. And he will be a stud if he goes there. I, I guarantee you they'll be like, okay, cool. This is what you do with your four seamers. This is what you do with all this. Keller will be unlocked. Um, it's just that's on the Pirates. And they have two years left of his contract. They're not going to be competitive this year. Do you know who the, the rest of the rotation is for the Pirates, Eric? Um, take a guess right now. Yeah, exactly. It probably exactly. Involves,
0: it probably involves Quinn Priester.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah. Number five. Luis Ortiz. Oh. Bailey Falter. L- oh, okay, yeah. Luis Ortiz. Contreras, Listen, and we, we talked JT we talked about Falter. At some point. Bit. Yeah, it's it's Paul Skeens, maybe at some point. Jared Jones, Jackson Wolf. Like this is the team. Why is he here? This is a full year of value that the Pirates are not taking advantage of. They should be trading him away, and that might be really great. So really depends on this offseason for Mitch Keller. There is still more to like. At this moment, I feel like it's going to be too volatile start to start.
0: Mm -hmm. And on top of everything you said, the the fastball velocity dropped about a mile per hour as the year went on too, which, again, happens sometimes. It's not like a huge red flag, Um, but is something to monitor. Um, I will say that I'm more interested in Mitch Keller going into this offseason than I was going into last offseason because I saw, as you mentioned, the continued um, improvement from him. Yeah. Um, Tell us why we don't have a starting pitcher number 80 to discuss.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, it was Kona Takahashi. uh, At the time of me me writing this, uh, it looked like he was going to be posted. And then since we've heard, I think that he's not going to get posted. Um, He looks like a Toby. I mean, he just kind of looked. Like, my understanding is that it's a low to mid nineties fastball with a tree of secondaries. Nothing that is like exciting about it. Does not look like the like a Shota Imanaga of of good whiff rates with all that kind of stuff. Just like yeah. you know, it, it's it's fine. And he, I figure like we don't know what this is, so here's the mystery box tier. It's fine.
0: He wanted to be posted, uh, and his wishes were not granted um, as of November twenty first. Um, his is. his team said yet no. <laughs> um so he is he is not coming over here at least this year there you go um we are not talking about any more starting pitchers because we no. are done with this episode um we will continue on through the end of the top 100 and and you know then nick and i'll decide what to do with 100 to like oh, two, yeah, got, whatever to um <laughs> yeah, we'll, get, we'll do all of it um but we'll catch you on another episode i am eric Smolski, the pelican
1: i'm nick pollock the lion
0: and i'm gonna go put some ricotta on some old mac and cheese